Well, there, there's our sermon for this morning, right there. Praise God. Um, so you're probably wondering, uh, who am I? Uh, who's this guy that's up here? Uh, so I am Mitch Green. I am the church planning resident on staff, which means, Lord willing, a year from now, we are hopeful to plant a church out of Redeemer on the south side of Indianapolis. Um, and so, so thankful. And there's another crazy thing about me being up here. I don't know if you guys know this, but today marks seven years uh, that Redeemer has been a church. This is Redeemer's seven-year anniversary. Can we give God some praise for that? Um, which, which actually is another reason that I'm up here because Brock is preaching at Doxa for their two-year anniversary this Sunday morning. And so, I mean, just praise God that, yeah, we could clap all morning for this, but praise God that Lord willing a year from now, I mean, Redeemer Bible Church, God has faithfully worked in the hearts of people here that not only will there be, Lord willing, in a year, Redeemer Bible Church still worshiping, celebrating their eighth year anniversary, Doxa celebrating their three-year anniversary, we'll be launching another congregation, and then there will be a church plant out of Doxa also launching that same Sunday next year. Uh, Praise God for that. And so I don't want to move on, like, before we really celebrate that. Oh, and one more thing. We have landed on a name for our church plant. So we are going to be called Ascend Bible Church. Um, so this is our name. You'll start seeing more about the when, the where's, the why's, and all that stuff. But um, we are going to be Ascend Bible Church um, launching here on the south side a year from now. So Ascend. Yep. So I'm going to pray. And then we will uh, jump into the text this morning. Father God, you, um, you've proven yourself so faithful, Lord. Um, God, in there was, there was a time period where people were meeting in the living rooms, um, dreaming what it would look like to gather together as a faithful body of believers for you, Lord. Um, and God, you've done far more than we could ever imagine. Um, and God, I just pray that we continue to lean into you, um, that any glory that we try to claim ourselves, that we would just shed that off and give it back to you, Lord. Uh, this is your church. So, Father God, we thank you so, so much for that. And, Lord, as we, as we turn to look at the text this morning, uh, would you just make it clear? Would you make my words clear? Would you make it clear in our hearts? It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be looking at 11 and 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one in the seat back in front of you. We really want you just to have the text in front of you this morning. Uh, We want to be working through this book together. One of the things that I've loved with this series is that we've not skipped a lot of verses. Like, we've really read through a lot of it, and we're going to do that same thing today. And and last week, Pastor Brock uh, worked through the first nine plagues, which felt a little bit like a marathon, if we're all being honest. And today, we're going to be doing, um, looking at the 10th plague. And if last week was a marathon, today's a sprint. Like, we're going to just be flying through the Passover, and there's so much goodness here for the people of Israel, but also for us. But last week, as we looked at these plagues, um, there were some things that we kept coming back to, how each of the plagues is showing God's authority over Egypt. How God is the one true God and there is no other. And so time and time again, God is establishing his authority over the Egyptian gods. And I want us to have a question in the back of our mind as we continue into this 10th plague this morning. 
do you really believe God is in control of all things? Like, functionally, do you believe that? Formally, it's really easy, and I'm not questioning anybody, but, you know, we got some people that when I say that, you start to head nod. It's really easy to believe that God's in control of things formally, but when things start to feel out of our control, is it just as easy to trust God? Like, formally, we believe it, but functionally, how does it impact our life? I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago. I was at Independence Park in Center Grove with my son, Graham. He's one year old. And I can remember when Graham was like about six months old that I wanted to teach him how to like jump off things that like so he knew I could catch him. What a mistake. Um, this, now it's like any object that he is on, he thinks at any moment I can jump off and dad's going to be there to catch me. Pretty much any object. Because see, sometimes there's a few things at Independence Park that he's not quite comfortable with yet. And once he gets on them, it's like all trust is lost. He's screaming his head off. He doesn't even trust me anymore on said thing. I think sometimes that's how we approach things in life. We think we have total trust in God, but then once trust is really like whatever said thing is, is out of our control, then we're like, wait, God, where are you at? I think one of the hardest areas for us to trust God with is life and death. So while I was kind of joking earlier that like there was your sermon, it really kind of is your sermon a little bit. You know, as we hear Kevin's testimony, there's this question of who's really in control over life and death? Again, we all want it. None of us have it. And so we are going to look at the Passover events, but I want us to make sure that we're not looking at them without thinking of Jesus in mind. Like, as we look at the elements of the Passover, the events that take place, we as believers in this room, this should strengthen our faith. And and I had a few people talk to me about this after first, but I want to make it clear on this, that, like, we're going to look at some hard questions. Like, you're going to raise some questions in your mind about God this morning that you're going to be like, man, that's tough. And I'm I'm not going to necessarily give you all those answers, but I'm going to say, let's continue to wrestle with the questions, knowing that our God is in control and our God is omnipotent. And so as we look at chapters 11 and chapter 12, we're going to be looking at really two different scenes. And again, if you're a movie person, you might go, that's not how scenes work, but just follow me for a moment. So the first scene we're going to look at is God's authority over life and death against Egypt. God is going to do some things to show that he is the one who is powerful. He is the only authority over life and death. And then in scene two, which we'll turn to, we're going to see God instructing his people to follow him and remember that he is the one who is in authority over life and death. And then we're going to jump back to scene one, and we're going to actually see these events unfold. So we got a lot of text to cover, so we're going to just go ahead and jump right in this morning. Scene one, God's authority over life and death. This is verse one of chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon the Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from there. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. He speaks, uh, speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of his neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. 
And the Lord gave the people favor in the sights of the Egyptian. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of his people. Again, this is something God said early on in the book of Exodus. He said that when you leave, you will not leave empty-handed. Like, you will go with the treasures that the, that the Egyptians have because they are mine. The passage carries on. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel." And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from the Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord says to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go throughout his land. I want to come back to verse 5 for a moment. I imagine as we were reading through this, you came across these words in verse 5, and you wondered to yourself, wait a minute, like God did what? Like, like what did he do? Like, and you might have even like not been able to listen to the rest because you were just stuck listening to verse 5. See, let's just repeat it for us this morning. Exodus 11, verse 5, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who, shall, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. How's that hit you? Like, do, you do you question God's actions? Do you question God's authority? I'm going to be honest. I probably can't answer the questions you're wrestling with fully this morning, but I do want to give us two thoughts that I had as I was working through my own questions with this passage. I think there's two things we need to know. First, the killing of the firstborn. Do you think in God's omnipotence he doesn't know what that feels like? We are talking about the God who gave up his firstborn son for the sins of this world. Like, God is all-knowing. God is not in one place at one time and in another place at a different time. As these events are happening, he knows what is going to happen to Jesus. Like, we can ask God, could you have done it a different way? But let's not kid that God doesn't know what the pain feels like. Like, God himself gave up his firstborn son. Secondly, this is not the first time that somebody's tried to take life in their hands in the book of Exodus. Exodus 1 begins with the Pharaoh taking life into his own hands by trying to kill not just the firstborn children, but all the children of Israel, all the baby boys. Exodus 1, verse 16 through 20 says this, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. 
but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? As if he couldn't stop the first time. The midwife said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives can come to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. The book of Exodus begins with the Pharaoh of Egypt trying to take life, trying to have the authority over life and death, and he fails. This is the story of Moses. Moses is a male boy who was not supposed to be there, but yet God is going to use to lead the people out of Israel. So while we might question, okay, God, what what are you doing here? I think like we said last week, we need to lean into God's sovereignty and trust that God knows what he's doing. That this is the same God that knows how much this pain feels like. And he's trying to make it clear to the people of Israel that he is the only one with the authority over life and death. Another thing I think we should note about chapter 11. See, when God shows his authority over life and death, it looks very different when the Pharaoh attempts and fails. Verse 7, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel either man or beast, that you may know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So Pharaoh attempts to act its authority over life and death. And it doesn't work. But when God shows his power and authority, it says not even a dog is going to bark at you. That's the authority that God has over life and death. Another interesting note from verse 7, make no mistake, there is a distinction between the way that God sees his people and those that are outside of his covenant. I'm going to be honest, as we go through the rest of this message, it's going to be really, really good news to those who are in Christ, and it's going to be some hard questions for those of us in the room that we may not yet have committed ourselves to Christ. Because God is going to show that he does something for his people Specifically, they don't do anything to earn God's favor. They don't rescue themselves from the Passover event. Rather, God makes a way that their sins can be looked over. God makes a distinction between the people of Israel and the Egyptians, just as he makes a way today that's distinct between those that are a part of the household of faith and those who are not. Now, I'm not trying to say that God hasn't created everybody in his image. But there is a conditional nature to those who are in Christ and those who are not. From the beginning of God separating his people out, he makes it clear there are those who are in him and those who are not. But we're going to get to some good news at the end of this. All right, let's turn to scene two. God's authority over life, the Passover. See, the Passover that we're about to read about is probably one of the most defining moments for the people of Israel. Like, they will, these instructions that we're going to read, they will come back to this and celebrate it not only week in and week out, but they will celebrate it annually with the festival. Like, this is a defining moment for them. 
And these same Passover events will have reverberations that will lead us all the way to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, just in case, like, like maybe this is something we're not thinking about when we came in this place this morning, that Jesus Christ himself will sit down and celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples before he dies. Like, he will sit down and he will take these elements and he will then apply them to what he's about to do on the cross. And so, for us in the room as believers, we should read this and we should just be led straight to worship. If, if it was just you and me and we were, like, hanging out at a coffee shop and you're like, hey, I want to know about the Passover, I can promise you, um, I imagine I would do something like just underline the elements and I would go, come on. Like, you see this, don't you? Like, you see where Jesus is at in this, right? Like, come on. Let's worship him in that. And so as we read this, we're going to just kind of work through the elements of the Passover, which the elements of the Passover are the lamb, the blood, the bread. I'm going to ask you, I'm just going to say like what, and then I want you to repeat for me the element. So I'll read through the passage, you'll kind of follow along with me, but all I want us to do is just for us, those of us who are believers in the room, just worship God through the Passover elements. That in his omnipotence, God rescues the people from Egypt with the same elements that he's going to teach us as believers to celebrate and use for the way that he rescued us through Jesus' shedding of blood. So let's get worshiping here this morning as we work through this. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a what? According to his father's houses, a what? For a household. And if the household is too small for a what? Then he, he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the what? Your what? Shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their what? At twilight. Verse 5 says, you shall... You shall your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So again, these are instructions for the people of Israel. Again, but you wonder like when they're seeing this, are they going like, what is going on here? Like we're starting to be introduced again to a, like a systematic version of sacrifice for them that they will keep and they will celebrate every single year for what God is about to do. But again, we get to see it and we just don't go like, okay, like take the lamb, cool, this is what I'm supposed to do. We see it and we go, praise you God. You knew what you were doing. Like if we want to like grow in our understanding of God's authority over life and death, it's going to take us to have a greater understanding of God's sovereignty. And so as we look at this, we should go, praise you God, you're sovereign. I know what you're doing there with the lamb. It's not just for the purpose of sacrifice. Like, praise you, God. So that is the first element, a lamb without blemish, a one-year-old. Then he moves into the second element, the blood. This is verse 7 through 13. Then they shall take some of the, what? 
and put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened what? Well, that's the later one, but we'll get there. And bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall, shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the men and the beasts, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. I am the Lord. The what? Shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the what? I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood of the blemishless lamb is the sign in which God will pass over the sins of Israel. That God will come into this earth and his wrath will pour out on Egypt, but yet he will be able to pass over the houses of Israel by the blemishless blood of the Lamb. Come on. Like, does that not scream the gospel of Jesus Christ to you this morning? The passage carries on. The bread. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened what? On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, and if for anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, and that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened what? For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations, a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat no unleavened bread." So again, God takes the lamb, the blemishless lamb, one year old. He takes the bread. He takes the blood. And he says, you will celebrate these things in remembrance of the fact that I passed over you in death. God makes a way for his people. How much of that is good news in here this morning? That the people of God have a way to conquer death, not by our own accord, but by the power of God through the bloodshed of the blemishless lamb. This was true in Israel, and this is true for us this morning. May it move us to worship. 
So again, God is showing his authority over life and death with this one final plague, a terrible death, and he's making way for his people to be passed over from his wrath using these elements. He then instructs them to do this forever. But there's one more part of chapter 12 that I really don't want us to miss this morning. Because see, I've told you that this is a really good message for those who are in the household of faith. What about those who aren't? Like maybe that's one of the big questions in your head, right? Right? Like your first big question is probably like, okay, God, why do you have to do this? Why are you doing this? Your second question is probably, what makes them so special? What about Israel? Why are they so special? See, I love this, and I'm just going to foreshadow it for, for just a second here. Even in the Old Covenant, God establishes a way for the, the outsider to be a part of the household of faith. That in God's sovereignty, he has always been in the business of welcoming the outsider in. I imagine these next few verses are something that you've just kind of like skipped over from time to time. That you might just like kind of fly over these verses here and there. So we're going to look back at scene one as the events of the Passover unfold. But I want you just in the back of your mind to be thinking about that. What does this mean for the insider? What does that mean for the outsider? This is 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of livestock and the Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants of Egypt. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go from among you, my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flock and herd as you had said, and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of Israel in haste, for they said, They shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sights of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they had asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Again, this common theme like, God, how are we going to go? God goes, no, no, you'll have plenty of stuff when you go. God follows up on his promise there. It carries on. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth and about 600,000 men on foot, besides the women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them in, a very, in very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked 11 cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Don't miss this last chunk. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout the generations. Can you imagine for a moment, 430 years of captivity? We, I don't know if we even possibly can do that. But again, the people of God, who God has made a covenant with, are in captivity for 430 years. But God, in his sovereignty, in his provision, provides a way 
for them to leave Egypt, not by their own power, but by him showing his authority over the gods of this earth. That is what we see through the Passover. Now, I don't want to always make like a quick jump just from the story straight to ourselves, but if we're sitting in here this morning and we find ourselves in the midst of something, I'm sure our first reaction is like, hey, God, can we just like get past that? 430 years. We don't praise God for his timing of delivering us from things. We praise God because he's the only one with the authority to deliver us from our problems. That the Bible teaches us that no matter how long we wait, God will deliver. God has always been working to make his covenant true to his people. So again, we've seen how God established his authority over life and death and then the Egyptians' lack of authority. We've understood the elements of the Passover and we've listened to these events unfold. But as I mentioned, there's one more part I want to make sure we sit on this morning. What does this mean for those who are part of the household of faith and what does this mean for those who are outside the household of faith? Chapter 12 ends with this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired hand may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. So God establishes, I have authority over life and death. You are going to be spared from death by the blood of the Passover lamb. You are to celebrate this. Only you are to celebrate this. No outsider, nobody that's a part of the household of faith, you can celebrate this. God is doing this because he wants to make a clear distinction between his people and the people of Egypt. And and for us this morning, for those of us that are in Christ, this should raise the way that we worship God. Like, raise the level of worship that we have for him. Like, we should look at the Passover, should scream Jesus to us and what he's done on the cross. We should look at how God delivered them, start to think about how God is going to deliver us. Again, I don't want to go too back to it, but, but the good news of a testimony like Kevin's that we hear is that we worship a God who's conquered life and death. Like, like that's why we can stand in peace and we can stand in joy is because we trust God regardless of outcome because we know we have received life through the bloodshed of the Lamb. That is why we worship Him. I had a friend ask me a couple weeks ago, he said, uh, what, what do you like about Redeemer so much? Like, what are you learning? What are you enjoying here? And I told him, the emphasis that we, pl- that we place on prayer and worship is so encouraging. You know, as a church planner, you think about planning a church and like, you don't really think about the elements. You're just like, well, we got to get this and services and all, your, all this stuff. My wife and I have been so impacted by the prayer and worship culture here. I love the 4W life. I really do. I know you guys hear it every week, and so it might become like sometimes like, okay, old news. We know we're going to do this. No, no, no. For me, it's such a reminder that that first W worship drives everything that we do, that we worship God. And out of overflow to our worship for God, it helps the way that we walk. It helps the way that we work. It helps our witness. 
that it's all driven by what God has done for us. It's nothing that we can do by our own power. May we never move away from a place of worship to God. May it motivate how we live every single day of our life. So let this story grow your view of God. Now let me talk for a moment to the outsider. I think the verse continues, and I love the way that it says this in verse 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If the stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. Did you catch that? He shall be as a native of the land. Even in the Old Testament, God is making a way for the outsider to come in and receive his blessing. So I don't know who's like where you're at. I know a very small percentage of you in the room. But for those in Christ, we should be moved to a place of worship that we can't help but to talk and praise God for what he's done for us, for what he did for them, for how this pointed to what he was going to do on the cross. We should read it and just turn it around and go, come on. But for those who are outside, God has been in the business since the beginning of making a way for you to come in to the family of God, that you shall no longer be treated as a foreigner. Man, that is good news. You know, for those in Christ, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed, his body was broken, so that you and I may be able to achieve life. And for those outside, what does he ask to do? He says, for those who profess and believe, profess with their mouth, believe in their heart that I am Lord, that is how we're welcomed into the family of God. So after service today, we're going to jump into a time of worship. And and these words that are going to come up on the screen in these songs, they are just going to scream the connection between the blood that was shed of the lamb in the Passover and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But may we worship God fully. And if we're somebody who we're not a part of the household of faith, may we wrestle with, is God calling us to take a step into that? Is the Lord moving our heart? Do not leave this place without getting your questions answered. I'll be up front after service. I'd love to talk to you. There'll be some other elders around. And then, Lord willing, next week, we're going to celebrate baptisms in this place. And as we celebrate those who are baptized, it's a mark of what the Lord has done in their life. Nothing by our own power, but only what God could do. So let's pray, and we're going to continue in worship this morning. Father God, we praise you uh, for the blood shed of the Lamb. Father God, not only what you did in Exodus, Lord, but God, how that foreshadowed what you were going to do on the cross. Lord, we rest in the work of Jesus. We know that we cannot bring anything to the table. We cannot accomplish this on our own, Lord. It's only by your power. So God, may we just pour out our hearts in worship to you. And Father God, for those who don't know you, Lord, may you work in our hearts in such a way that we can't help but worship you for who you are.
You are the all-knowing, all-loving God. You have all authority. There is no other. I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.